We're heading into the last week of February here in the Capital Region. Does that mean the end of winter is nigh? Don't worry though, there's still going to be plenty of seasonal fun to be had over the upcoming school break. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. A hidden camera made to look like a cell phone charger um, had been placed in uh, a staff bathroom. We'll learn more about the alarming story of a missing girl found in Saugerties this week, two years after her disappearance. He eventually pried up one of the boards on the staircase and saw a blanket and two feet. And we'll talk about how confusion and tension over school mask mandates is affecting districts across the region. What it's done is really created a very polarized school climate. This is the Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. We are here once again with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. Let's talk about the top headlines this week, and we'll start with uh, the COVID situation. Can you paint a picture of what's going on this week in that realm? Yeah, I mean, the news is generally good, right? While uh, certainly we have not beaten Omicron yet, hospitalizations and infection rates are obviously down from where they were a month ago. Along with that, of course, we are now a couple of days into the state dropping the mandate for businesses, but, and herein lies the rub, not dropping the mandate for school districts. Governor Kathy Hochul has said that she feels that you know children need the continue to need the protection of masks. Josh Solomon reported uh, just a couple of days ago that the state health department does actually not have metrics selected for when school districts might be able to go without the mask mandate. In other words, in the past, we used to have often complex metrics that said if your district has a positivity rate of X or below, or a hospitalization rate of Y or below, you can lift mask restrictions or give up uh, other sorts of uh, pandemic safety strictures. And the Hochul administration and Kathy Hochul herself has said, you know what, I don't want to have any one number that we need flexibility. Her point, um, which is, is uh, you know, or a partly valid one, is that there's a big difference in the metrics you would use to respond to the Delta variant, for example, than the ones you would use to r- respond to or set measures for um, something like Omicron, which is, of course, far more contagious, though less serious. So that's continuing to be controversial. You know, school board meetings have become, in many places, absolute battlegrounds of debate. Uh, As we've discussed before, we've seen protests um, at schools involving students. So um, it's still a rather controversial situation, in addition to the fact that come Monday, the state um, has set the deadline for a wide swath of workers, um, including in healthcare, 
to get booster shots or lose their jobs. We are going to talk more about the situation with mask mandates in schools with our education reporter, Rachel Silberstein, coming up later in the podcast. Uh, But for now, let's move on to Saratoga, where an official said something quite controversial this week. Do you want to tell us what happened there? Yeah, this is James Montagnino, who is the newly installed public safety commissioner. The public safety commissioner in Saratoga Springs is form of government runs, um, you know, the police in addition to other public safety departments. He gave an interview to the Daily Gazette in which he said that uh, the, the problem of crime in Saratoga Springs could in part be attributed to gangster rap attracting, to use his phrase once again, unsavory characters. Now, this, of course, uh, was rather controversial, especially because Mr. Montagnino is white and also, <laughs> gangster rap is a rather antiquated term, you know? I'm in my mid-50s now, and it has been around since, since the late 80s, you know, the dawn of uh, NWA, including Dr. Dre, who, of course, was the, you know, the MC of the, of the Super Bowl show. And, you know, Craig Earle, who is a, a DJ who works in Saratoga Springs and is black, said that, you know, all kinds of music gets played at, at various clubs. You know, he plays hip-hop in addition to reggae, house, and techno. And and he said that what Montagnino is doing is an attempt to criminalize music. And that, in fact, the problem, as in many, many bars, uh, is not necessarily the music that they play. It's just drunk people acting out. And uh, Lexis Frigorio, who is um, a Black Lives Matter activist, noted that, uh, and it's a very good point, that there was another bar that is heavily frequented by white people that had a terrible incident uh, last year where a group of men got into an altercation that resulted in the death of one of them. Nobody questioned what kind of music was playing inside the club before that happened. And this comes just a couple of days after Montagnino released a report that in many quarters, including among many activists, was hailed for uh, finally revealing uh, and calling into account public officials' response to the incident that resulted in what became the fatal injury of Daryl Mount Jr. after a, a foot chase involving Saratoga police that had been really the, the nexus of a, a lot of, uh, of outrage by, by activists. And Montagnino put out a report that they, you know, that was an attempt to kind of clear the air and put out as many facts as possible about not only what, what happened that night, but also elected officials' um, responses to it, including Montagnino's predecessor in the office. And it's just a couple of days later, uh, he makes this rather, uh, you know, not to editorialize, rather lunk-headed comment that really kind of, once again, just made you think, uh, are elected officials in the capital region uh, taking part in some kind of uh, don't let this happen to you, racial insensitivity, you know, film strip or something like that? It It was very strange. Well, I certainly hope something like that doesn't actually exist. All right. Uh, moving on to a bizarre and rather unsettling story out of Sand Creek Middle School in Colony, where a teacher was found to have installed a camera in the bathroom. What happened there? Allegedly, yes. Patrick Morgan, who is uh, has or was a teacher at Sand Creek Middle School for but almost 30, 28 years, um, was arrested after uh, it was discovered that a hidden camera made to look like a cell phone charger um, had been placed 
in uh, a staff bathroom. And according to evidence that police found, uh, it had captured footage of, you know, workers in various states of undress, engaging in the sorts of things that people engage in in a staff bathroom. And this camera had, according to police reports, been uh, recording for at least 10 months back to last April. The police have done further searches. Uh, They have turned up more devices that they need to go through to see if there is anything uh, else uh, untoward. And um, Mr. Morgan, you know, is, of course, now facing charges. This discovery shut the school down for two days on Monday and Tuesday as police and school officials obviously swept the building to do what they could to make sure that there were no other recording devices. And and so far, they have not found any. Well, that's good to hear. All right, let's move on to something that's a little more fun uh, for the last topic of our segment. The best of voting starts this week. Tell us uh, how to do it, where to go, and all of that jazz. Yes, the first period in our annual best of the capital region uh, voting was the nominating process that resulted in record levels of engagement from readers and the voting itself for the finalists starts on Friday. And we hope people will weigh in, as they like to say in uh, Albany, vote early and vote often. All right. That's going to be exciting. I can't wait to see the results. Thank you, Casey. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, good to talk to you. As always, you can read more about all of the stories and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. On Tuesday, police raided a house in Ulster County. They found a young girl there who'd been reported missing at age four in 2019. She was hidden in a secret compartment beneath a staircase. The discovery soon made headlines far and wide. Times Union reporter Roger Hannigan Gilson has been reporting this story for us this week. I talked to him to find out more about the latest details in this bizarre case. All right, there is a lot to unpack in this story. It is quite a story. So can you just give us the highlights? What what happened and what's the latest? Saugerties police, along with state police and a couple of agencies, searched a home in Saugerties with a warrant on Monday. They uh, were going through because they suspected that a young girl who was the biological daughter of the man staying at the house was there. She had disappeared from the southern tier of New York in 2019. They had searched the house before, but this was the first time they had gotten a warrant and uh, had been going through the house for about an hour and a half before a detective with the Saugerties Police Department kind of got a a gut feeling and further examined the staircase. He eventually pried up one of the boards on the staircase and saw a blanket and two feet. These feet were the biological daughter of the man, Kirk Schultes Jr., who lived there. And the girl was there with her biological mother, Kimberly Cooper, They had uh, stowed themselves, squirreled themselves away under the staircase to avoid authorities because the daughter had been missing since 2019. 
Well, obviously, this was a super popular story online. It drew a lot of attention, uh, not just from our audience, but, you know, it was all over all of the local television stations and beyond. Mm. And we're obviously not naming the girl because she is quite young. Mm -hmm. But the situation as it is, I mean, what can you tell us about her story before this? I mean, she was living, but she wasn't living with her parents. She was living with her custodial parents uh the biological parents kimberly cooper and kirk schultes jr lost custody of the child uh we don't yet know why it was a family court proceeding and those records are automatically sealed uh she was living in tompkins county on uh, the southern tier and then uh while visiting Kimberly Cooper in in Spencer, which is in Tioga County, uh, the two of them vanished. And that was, you know, almost three years ago at this point, you know, when the police had come over to Kirk Schultes Jr.'s uh, home, which is actually owned by uh, his father, according to property tax records, uh, Kirk Schultes Sr., who also lived at the house. The two men repeatedly told police that they had no idea where the young girl or Kimberly Cooper was. But, you know, the police kept on coming back finally with a warrant and were able to find her. It should be noted that the crawl space, the secret compartment, the thing over under the staircase was not the girl's permanent room. She was not living in the crawl space that was just, they were just hiding there. Yeah, that was like the hiding spot. It was the hiding spot, and that's where they were hidden when the warrant uh, was served. And the police suspect that when they had come to the house on prior occasions, they had also uh, stashed themselves down there. Uh, the girl, she she wasn't malnourished. She wasn't dirty. So there aren't any signs of of any kind of physical abuse. But uh, according to the Saugerties chief of police, the girl cannot uh, read or write, which, you know, she should have been able to do at this point in her life. How did you catch wind of this? You know, this wasn't on anyone's radar until the Saugerties police department sent out a press release. They have a very broad press list. So it went to all these Hudson Valley outlets, all these uh, capital region outlets, The capital region outlets, such as CBS 6 and News 10, they have affiliates down in New York City. So the story very quickly spread. The press release kind of made it seem like the girl was permanently shut down there, and that was not the case. So I think some of the initial interest anyway from far-flung stations, you know, I saw news vans from New Jersey there, for instance, uh, at the house was that the perception was this girl had been kind of locked in a basement dungeon for three years. Which, of course, is the stuff of nightmares. It's the stuff of nightmares and horror movies and that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, with that, a lot of people leapt on it. That's not the case, but the the real story isn't, you know, it's, it's a negative thing anyway. The girl can't read or write. She wasn't going to school. We don't know if she was, you know, permitted to, I mean, you know, she was seven. She can't exactly drive a car anywhere anyway. But, you know, we're unsure the degree that the biological parents were keeping her under wraps. Like, did they let her leave the house? That kind of thing. Obviously, you know, 
the story wasn't as initially thought, um, mm. but you're at the same time, you're still dealing with a very sensitive situation. We're talking about a minor and a kidnapping or an abduction, mm. allegedly. I mean, how do you approach a story like that? What, what comes to mind for you as a reporter? It's always, you know, an ethical thing that you don't identify victims. So the Times Union did not identify the girl's name and we will not. You know, there's a concern about that. Uh, I can't say that other news outlets have been as ethical as we have. The other thing is just, you know, not indemnifying unnecessarily. Like crimes were committed here. Kirk Schultes Jr. and Kirk Schultes Sr. are charged with felony custody interference under a subsection of the penal code that essentially says they, uh, you know, relatives of uh, a child under the year of 16, you know, take them, but, you know, they're doing so, so in a way that endangers the child's safety. And, you know, that stems from you know, the the seven-year-old kind of be stuffed in this little hidey hole that didn't have heating and was wet for at least an hour and a half as detectives uh, searched. And, you know, she, she had most likely been under there during previous times the police had come by. So there have been crimes committed there. And then in a court appearance that occurred Wednesday in Sargatis Town Court, the assistant district attorney for Ulster County said that the uh, mother, Kimberly Cooper, would be facing uh, most likely other charges. She mentioned that there was a grand jury process uh, going on, which suggests that Kimberly Cooper could be charged with felonies. Uh, we don't know yet, but you know, we're, we're told that A, there will be more charges for at least Mrs. Cooper and that there could be additional arrests, people that we don't know about that were involved in this. So there is more to come on this, and I'm sure we'll hear more from you coming up. Thank you so much for the update. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. After the break, the topic of whether kids should still be wearing masks in school is a contentious one. We'll talk to education reporter Rachel Silberstein about local feelings on the matter. Hi, I'm Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. Join us for an ongoing discussion on major developments in the saga of Keith Raniere, co-founder of Nexium, the shadowy upstate New York organization at the center of the explosive federal investigation that resulted in Raniere's conviction on charges of extortion, sex trafficking, and more. We talk to former members of Nexium, discuss the latest news, and preview the likely next twists in this bizarre and disturbing story. You can find Nexium on trial at timesunion.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. As we discussed earlier in this episode, the debate over mask mandates for schools has been a source of frustration and controversy for school officials, parents, students, and other stakeholders in the capital region. But I've had enough. People haven't seen my face since middle school. There's no school dances. There's no anything. 
nothing, nothing to look forward to, honestly. Tensions ran high at a school board meeting in Greenville, New York, this week after students had staged a walkout during the school day. Times Union education reporter Rachel Silberstein has been following the impact of the continued mask mandate for schools. So I spoke to her to find out a little bit more. Give me a high-level summary of what has happened legally and sort of governmentally with the mask mandate in schools over the last couple of weeks. So it's kind of a a rapidly evolving story. In the last few weeks, uh, the state's mask mandate in schools was challenged. Um, It was a lower court out of Long Island that decided that Governor Hochul didn't have the authority to enforce a mask mandate in schools. She would need the legislature to enact an enforceable mandate like that. Um, a An appellate court stayed that ruling so that the mask mandate is still in effect as it sort of plays out in the court system. But since then, it's just created a huge amount of sort of discontent and angst in the school systems, especially schools that had a large contingent of parents who opposed masks from the beginning. Now it seems like there's confusion and also they have like a new weapon that says schools don't have the authority to enforce this mandate. Now, what are they exactly saying is the bad thing about masking children? Earlier in the year, it's interesting, they were kind of challenging the science. They were kind of a group, a small contingent of parents who like to do their own research about vaccinations and that's with air quotes. Um, air quotes on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we should um, have a sound effect for that. <laughs> and so they, so early in the year, they kind of had these like stu- questionable theories and claims that you know it constricts airflow, and I guess some doctors claim you know it it was harming them emotionally. And I think now, sort of, the narrative has changed and the talking points have changed because there have been a few studies that happen to align um, with the folks opposing masks to some degree, they get to be in the position where they're accusing the board members and school officials of being anti-science. Specifically, there was a study recently that um, showcased how cloth masks are not as effective as we thought they once were. Um, And with the Omicron variant, um, I think we've seen that, you know, vaccinated and unvaccinated people are susceptible to the disease which calls into question some of the policies around quarantining. So kids who are vaccinated don't have to quarantine when they're exposed to someone who has the virus, whereas kids who are unvaccinated have to quarantine and sometimes are not allowed to go to after-school extracurricular activities or participate in sports. And so this is a group of people that kind of had this belief before, but now feel sort of emboldened and, and very persecuted by these rules that that they feel targets them. So a minority, but a very vocal and loud one. Now tell us how that has played out in the last week or so. Uh, you attended a very long and contentious board meeting in Greenville, right? We're seeing this happen in, in several schools in the capital region. Last week it was at Boston Spa, and there was also an incident in Saratoga Springs. And this week it was... Uh, the Greenville School District, which had a very contentious board meeting, parents and students citing these studies, you know, with these studies in hand saying, you know, where's the science? You're making us, you know, wear these masks. They're not effective. And there were actually students walking out in Greenville in particular. It had been going on for three days. 
kids were not going to class. And what it's done is really created a very polarized school climate where, you know, friendships are breaking up and parents are, are getting very aggressive. And, you know, there's a very hostile demeanor towards board members who don't, you know, they say their hands are tied and there's not much they can do when there's a state mandate. And it's just created a, a very contentious environment in a lot of schools. One of the things that you had pointed out in your most recent article um, about the Greenville board meeting is that a lot of students were speaking and some of the things that they were saying were really hard to wrap your head around as, you know, somebody who had a pretty normal, you know, high school experience unaffected by a pandemic. I mean, tell me what the students were saying themselves. Absolutely. I think they a lot of students acknowledge that it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, especially when they're playing sports. It's like kind of annoying to have something constricting your your breath. And and also socially, I think, you know, one kid was saying no one's seen my face since middle school. Um, and I think school mm-hmm. officials were very sympathetic to that argument. There was one young man who spoke about, you know, he through no fault of his own, right? It, kids don't really have a choice whether they're not vaccinated. It's their parents' decision. He's unvaccinated and he is very much a rule follower. <laughs> Didn't want to speak at a turn at the meeting, but was stressed that he had been at a school four times. And he said some of his friends have been at a school seven times this year. And whereas his friends who are vaccinated could be sitting next to the same kid who has COVID and they get to stay in school. And so for him, he just felt like he's received a lesser quality education. Um, and so I think that testimony was very compelling. And I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure now on Governor Hochul to really make a decision. We're seeing other states sort of drops, drop their mask mandate as COVID cases continue to decline. And school leaders want to see like clear benchmarks. What are the metrics you're looking for um, to drop the mandate in schools, or at least ease the mandate. So, you know, to make it a little bit more comfortable. Now, was there talk about potentially revisiting this in the beginning of March that that the governor would say, okay, let's see where we're at in March and then make another decision? So Governor Hochul has said after the break, after the winter break, she's going to revisit it. I think she's looking at um, infection patterns. Last year, we saw after the holiday break and then the midwinter break, there were there was inevitable rise in infections. So she, I think she wants to reassess them to see if the numbers are still going down. And also, I think she has noted that vaccination rates for K-12 children is still much lower than the general population. Um, and I think that is the reason the state has sort of dropped the mask mandate in for businesses, but not for schools. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler, Roger Hannigan-Gilson, and Rachel Silberstein for their contribution to this episode.